I'm going to read you a really cool, crazy verse in Ecclesiastes. And today we're going to be talking about chance occurrences. Have you had any occurrences in your life that were like out of the blue? Just what in the world? In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and in verse 11 and on, it says, I also saw something else here on earth. The fastest runner does not always win the prize. The strongest soldier does not always win the battle. The wisest doesn't always have food. The smartest does not always become wealthy. And the talented does not always receive the praise. Because time and chance happens to us all. Time and chance. Now, time is interesting. Time is always moving along. In the Greek, this is in Hebrew, but in the Greek, there's two words for chance the Bible uses, or for time. Chronos, which is just chronological time, moving along. But then kairos, which is strategic time. Something strategically goes on. And this word chance, in the Hebrew is the word P-E-G-A, pega. It literally means an occurrence that comes out of the blue. Now listen to this. It says in verse 12, that no one knows what will happen next. Like a fish caught in a cruel net or a bird caught in a trap, people are trapped by evil in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Have you ever had anything in your life happen? That I mean, it was out of the blue. You had no idea it was going to happen. And wham, a partner betrays you in business. Wham, an accident happens that everything was wonderful. Now you're dealing with the aftermath. These are what it's talking about here. These chance occurrences. It means random. It just means just kind of out of the blue. Wham, an occurrence takes place. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything in the first message because I want to get through a lot of stuff. But I talked in the first service about how the enemy, the devil, okay, there's a kingdom of darkness, there's a kingdom of light. That he wants things to go bad. He wants to bring these occurrences into your life. Like a fish, it says, caught in a net. Like a bird trapped in a snare. What's it like? They're going nowhere. Have you ever had been tied up? It's brutal. Have you ever been locked in a small space where you can't move? There's nothing you can do. It's awful. It's like this occurrence is trapped and you're trapped. And so the enemy, he wants these occurrences in your life. But did you know that so does God? And these occurrences, when you dive into this, it's almost like, you know, and the, the root word for chance is the word paga, where we get our word for prayer. Our word for intercessory prayer. That's where it comes from. And it says, just like a sparrow, you never know what branch it's going to land on. That's like these occurrences in your life. But just like some people have negative occurrence after occurrence, these things just go, what is going on? Did you know that God also does positive occurrences? And things happen in your life and you go, man, look at this. Whoa, how, why, how did this happen? Why did this happen? That's how good God is. So we have God wanting these incredible occurrences in your life. And then we've got the enemy wanting 
these incredible occurrences in your life. Now, when evil things happen, it puts pressure on you. And the pressure is to make wrong decisions. Because when you make wrong decisions, the decision always has a favorable or an unfavorable outcome. It has consequences or blessings. And so whenever you want to push someone into making a mistake, you pressure them. You bring fear into their life. You push at them until, you know, and, and we do it in sports. When I played basketball, you know, we'd play zone, and all of a sudden, okay, full court press. What are we doing? Putting pressure on the other team to cough the ball up. And almost every time it would work. Because as the pressure comes to bear, you make a mistake. You make a decision. You pass to the wrong person. You shoot when you shouldn't, and you get the ball turned over. In life, the enemy wants to put pressure on you. He wants to bring fear into your world. He wants you to make wrong decisions. And these wrong decisions have consequences. They have unfavorable outcomes. And so we need to know how to deal with this, how to handle this. And so in the first service, we talked a lot about prayer. And I showed them all through the word how that God can't just do whatever he wants. There is human, humankind, mankind, and God are co-laborers together, the epistles say. And that God can't just burst on the scene and do whatever he wants. So well, God can do whatever he wants. You don't read your Bible. He needs to work through man. The authority on the planet was given to the human race, which is why prayer is so crucial. Prayer is not begging a reluctant God to do something. Prayer from a position of strength is knowing who you are, what you've got, the entire inheritance, what Jesus did, and it's yours and it's been given to you, and you're, stand, you're standing and you're enforcing the victory of Calvary. Prayer enforces what is already yours. And so I'm going to challenge you to, you know, make sure and grab the first uh, message today and dive into it. Because I want to move on now a little bit into some, some more stuff. You know, the, de the devil's number one tactic in your life is to make you not believe what is yours. To not know what is already yours. That's his tactic. He wants you to think that it's not yours. You gotta beg God, you gotta make it happen, you gotta produce miracles, you've gotta do all this stuff, and you sure hope God does something when you hear about January. Hey, what's your new year gonna be like? Well, I sure hope, because they just don't, you never know what God is gonna do. And we've got this so messed up that people with any kind of brains look at the church and go, I, I, I don't want to be a Christian. Like, you got to sit around begging and pleading, crying and weeping, hoping God will make the right move. That is not prayer. The enemy wants us to think that we don't have things, we don't own things, that we don't have an inheritance. So we're always praying from a position of weakness. I don't pray from a position of weakness. I pray from a position of ownership. I pray from a position of I've already inherited it. I pray from a position that heaven has decided and it's mine. I pray from a position that all the angels of heaven are at my disposal when I speak the word of God over a situation. But the problem is, and we talked more about this in the first service, that all the armor that you get to wear in this life is put on by knowing the truth. That's why the belt on a soldier is called the belt of truth. 
See, if you don't have much truth in your life from God's word, you're not going to be able to hold much armor on. The belt of a Roman soldier that Paul was looking at would hold all those pieces together. And it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, make you free is a synonym there. And so we, why do we need to go into the word of God? Because we need more truth. The degree of truth that you know is a degree of freedom that you walk in in every area of your life. So you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, as you look at this issue of prayer, recognize that the reason Satan lies, he is the father of lies. John 8, 44 says, you are of your father, the devil. He's talking to religious people. And it is your will to practice the lusts, gratify your desires, which are characterized of your father. He is a murderer, talking about the devil, from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a falsehood, he speaks what is natural to him, for he is a liar himself and the father of lies and of all that is false. In life, in your marriage, in government, in the last 16 months, in, all, in, in every area, there's a kingdom of darkness and his job Deceive, 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 bring fear, bring fear, bring fear, bring fear. Make you to make the wrong decision. Make governments make the wrong decision. Make armies make the, anything he can do so that he can have the occurrences that he wants. But I want you to understand that whenever you're in fear and you're worried about something, you need to know something. I can prove to you it's a lie. It is? Yeah, but the problem is, if you believe it, it walks in your life anyway. If you don't believe your spouse loves you, but they love you immensely, you still don't experience it, and the relationship won't grow anyway because you believe a lie. The same is true for the Word of God. Until you marinate and get in the Word of God, get out to a church like ours and begin to learn more truth and learn more truth, you won't be able. You'll believe lies. He'll deceive you. The Bible says in James that he'll get you to start saying things with your mouth that deceives your own heart. Now you walk in fear. Now you walk in worry. And when people have fear, they always make the wrong decision. Trained as a paramedic, for years, in the beginning of my, my life, of, uh, I literally had to learn to walk onto the scene of an accident and remove my fear and my freak out. And oh my, I've never seen anything so horrible, the screaming, the crying, the blood, the stuff that's going on. Remove myself from that so I could make wise decisions. And it was when I could sense the pressure and the horribleness of death and, and children and fire. And, oh, just You can imagine some of the things. If you can't walk in there clear-minded and clear-headed, you'll make decisions. And I watched over the years men and women make decisions. And weren't that they were bad or wrong. They just made decisions that cost lives. Because our job and our role were to maximize survivors in the midst of a situation that was caused. Bring that over to your life. If you don't get your mind and, and, and the word of God, if you don't keep yourself exposed to the truth of God, he'll get you to believe lies, speak lies, talk lies, and then you'll, be a t you'll just be fascinated by it. You'll listen to everybody else speaking the same lie till you walk in such fear that you couldn't get an ounce of faith up if you want. You'll make wrong choices. When leaders do that, you've got trouble. So the devil is a liar. 
He's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. When fear or something negative pushes against you, remember that it's a lie. Someone will go, well, how do you know it's a lie? Now, I'm not saying it's a lie because it didn't happen. For example, understand that truth is truth in its original norm. And so when you're dealing with real situations, he will lie and tell you this situation is going to own you, kill you, destroy you, take your marriage, take your health. He just goes all down the road with that thing. Or you can go in there and just put that fire out in the name of Jesus. Recognize what it is and make decisions. Now, how do we do this? We need to recognize that if you want these Time and chance happeneth to us all. If you want these occurrences to happen in your life, okay, you want these godly occurrences, the favor of God, the blessing of God, these things out of the blue, just where did that come from? Thank you, Lord. I never even asked for that. That's called favor, the favor of the Lord. If you want those, you have to understand that prayer is not you trying to produce a miracle. It's not you fighting demons. Prayer is not trying to get you to get God to move. All of this is done. Prayer is an enforcing of what Calvary's already done. And as you begin to absorb the truth of God's word, you'll rise up and you'll begin to speak and believe. And as others run around like chicken littles, you'll begin to speak and pray because you must speak the word of God for it to affect this world. And we talk a lot about that in the first service. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is a, a, a verse I hear Christians use all the time. And it says that God causes all things to work together for good to them who love him. And say, say, yeah, yeah, I'm bleeding on that. I said, well, has it worked so far? Well, I did lose my job and my dog got run over. And my girlfriend left me. And, 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 I got, and you kind of go, oh, so is it all working together for good? Well, I, well no. Right, because you've got to qualify. What do you mean you've got to qualify? Well, Jesus qualified you, but there's a part that we need to play to bring this incredible thing onto the planet. Let me read this to you. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The key in all of this and is this word, pray. It says here, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. What's the weakness? You don't know what to pray. Well, what's the big deal? God knows the issue. Deal with it. Now, the, the Bible's filled with verses. Pray for His kingdom for, to come, for God's will to be done. Well, if it's God's will, He'll do it. No. It says pray for laborers to enter the harvest. Well, God knows we need laborers. Do it. Well, why can't He just do it? Because God can't 
do anything on the planet except through those that have the authority. And the authority on the planet has been given to the human race, which is a reason why Jesus had to come in a human body to die on the cross. Because he was a God-man. He's all man. Today at the right hand of the Father is a human body, a man who is all God. And he took on this physical body because he had to come to the planet and the authority he needed required him being a human for him to take on and die on the cross and pay for our sins and go to hell and pay the price for the curse and rise again as a new creation for you and I and go into heaven to the right hand of the Father. So we need an under- So it says here, The Spirit helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So so, so the big deal is knowing how to pray. Yes, it is. Well, I just believe it'll all pan out. How's that working for you? Literally, what we are praying, and prayer, by the way, is out loud. Now, you can talk with God and communicate with God with your mouth shut. I do it all the time. Me and God have great times of conversation because I don't want to even just say it because I don't want the enemy to even know what I'm thinking about and what I'm talking to God about. So I keep my mouth closed. We have a great conversation, prayerfully communicating with God. But if you want prayer that is going to cause things on this planet to turn around and incredible happenings of favor and blessing in your life, then you must be speaking the word of God. Prayer is speaking out loud the word of God. And then it says here, so Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses. Did you know the Holy Spirit will guide you in what to pray for? And I haven't got time to go into this, but for those who who pray in the Spirit, there's a stunning portion of teaching that goes with this as you realize that 1 Corinthians 14.2 says that when you pray in the Spirit, that you are speaking mysteries to God. Well, God doesn't have any mysteries. What's the mystery? It's the mystery to the forces of darkness. You can be praying in the Spirit, and He'll direct that prayer in an incredible way to the very thing that is needed. And He'll always guide you in the perfect will of God. But God will always give you a a spidey sense, a heads up, a knowing, a gut feeling. If someone comes to your mind, pray over them. I've just learned over the years that when someone comes to my mind, I just speak out loud every time someone comes to my mind. If I see an ambulance go by, I literally, as I'm praying, and Sally does his all to say, in Jesus' name, we ask God to intervene. Why? Because if no one's praying for that person, then God can't intervene. So Leon, that seems so crazy. Well, what's the other route? Let's take the other belief down here. So God gets to do whatever he wants. That's what I believe. I have no respect for that God. If he could have stopped the millions of children dying of starvation, crying, little ribs sticking out, and he didn't, what kind of a God is he? If he could have stopped that beautiful young lady from being raped and destroyed, and he didn't, but he could have. What? No, you don't understand authority. God gave the authority of this planet to mankind. And he said to them, you have dominion. Now in this new covenant, I know it's getting pretty serious in here, but I'm going to help you so much today. In this new covenant that we have with Jesus, we have to understand that we don't have to produce all this, fight demons. Jesus has done it all. We simply need to understand that We pray from a position of ownership, strength, and victory. And when we do, we literally 
pray with a sense of faith. There's so many examples of God wanting to move with his people. You heard last week as I talked about how that God wanted to save Israel. But why didn't he do it? He did it through Gideon. And it was a whole process. Hey, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Who, me? And read the whole story. It's days and weeks of Gideon going through things and learning things. And why doesn't God just do it? God always works through a man or a woman. He could have saved uh, them from Haman and the, and the gallows. But he sent Esther, had her win a beauty contest, marry a king, and walk into the courtroom knowing that if he doesn't raise his scepter, she'll be beheaded, risking her life, but saving a nation. Why is God doing it that way? He needs to work through a person. All of Israel standing, standing trembling while a Goliath screams at them. Why couldn't God just strike them? It'd be cooler if God just hit them with lightning, split them in half, and blew a few parts everywhere. Then he'd go, woo! But he sent a shepherd boy with a sling and a stone who he'd been training on the backside of a desert, looking after sheep, killing lions and bears, years of preparation to walk out and... Ch Why? Because God needs to use people. He needs people to pray, and he needs people to act. And all through the Bible, you'll find story after story of God doing what he wants to do, but he can't do it till he can find somebody that he can work through. I wonder how many promises of God to people are unfulfilled because he can't find human involvement to get it done. Well, God can just do whatever he wants. Again, no, sorry. Listen to this in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. 30. It says, And I searched for a man among them who could build up the wall, stand in the gap before me for the land, so I don't have to destroy it, but I found no one. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their ways I have brought upon their heads. Yet Ezekiel 33, 11 says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So what's going on here? Is God confused? My time is up here, but in the next session I'll, I'll show you in the Word how the Bible talks about Mercy and truth have met and kissed. It's talking about God's mercy, yet his truth, this justice, that God is a just God, that sin needs to be judged and dealt with. And yet this is a prophetic verse about Jesus on the cross where he died in our place, took the curse of the law, went to hell, rose again. Mercy and truth kissed. And now in this new covenant, we walk in this incredible ability and power because of what Jesus did for us. We can pray. I'm telling you, Gideon, Moses, I mean, all these men and women of old, they must be in heaven with their mouth hanging open in shock because of the power and the authority we have in prayer. And these men and women had to stand and face lions and giants without the nature of God in their spirit. Without his peace, his strength, his joy. It came upon them, 
but they were not reborn people. So deep inside them was fear. Deep inside them was what happened to Adam when he sinned. And then God came to see him and he's hiding somewhere because he was so afraid, so wiped out, so wimpy, so blaming the serpent, blaming the woman. I mean, what a nature change. When you and I recognize the power of God, that prayer, praying out loud is essential. It is a partnership with the redeemed child of God, working hand in hand with God towards, I'm going to say, his redemptive purposes. All of God's purposes are redemptive. He paid for the redemption of mankind. Everything God does right now is to redeem, to bring in life, to turn things around on this earth. But it says that we are, in 1 Corinthians 3, it says we are co-laborers with God. Co-laborers. God doesn't work by himself, and we don't work by ourselves. Jesus goes on to say, as he sent me, I send you. Wow! The same way God sent Jesus to, to stand in the gap and to bring miracles and life and truth, we go forth now with this new covenant in the blood of Jesus. on that, And we declare, we pray, and we, we act. Faith without works is dead. It literally teaches us that, that Apollos can water. It says here, um, I've planted, Paul says, Apollos water. But it's God that gives the increase. That word increase means an increase in finances, increase to plants, increase it to your infants, your body to grow healthy, increase in multitudes of people as a church grows, increase of inward Christian growth. It's this increase that God brings affects every area of your life. When you're a co-laborer with God, increase happens in your world. Increase. Oh, I've, I've preached at conferences where I had to listen to somebody get up and say how God's going to take you out, take you down, slap you upside the head till they can get you some sense into you. I'm going, what in the world? That's old covenant. We have a new covenant. And so today my time is up, but, but I want to just have this sink deep in your heart that time and chance happeneth to us all. What's going to be those chance occurrences in your life? I don't know. Well, what does God want? Blessing, favor, John 10, 10. Jesus made it real easy. I've come that you might have life and have it to an abundance innumerable in quantity. And I mean the quality unseen before. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when quick occurrences, when sudden occurrences happen, like a fish caught in a net, like a bird caught in a snare, I hope you're praying and believing him because it it'll get turned around and you'll see. And the occurrences in our lives can be occurrences of blessing and beauty and incredible things. You kind of go, you know, people getting around me sometimes. I'm just going to be really honest. You just ask me, say like, Leon, how in the world are you so lucky? You just keep getting things and people do stuff and they give stuff and TV stations and churches and buildings and, and, and like what in the world? As I know, favor, favor, favor. It's just like, really? Yep. Why? Because that's the promise of God to me. I'm not trying to get God to give me anything. He's already done it through Jesus. And it says, if God will give you his son, amen, give Jesus a hand. If God would lay down his son for you, why is there anything else he wouldn't give you? I think I was talking a few months ago, and I said, you know, I wouldn't give my son for you, so you're lucky I'm not God. 
and neither would you, you human thing, you. So, but if I would give one of my kids to die for you, do you think I wouldn't rather give anything else? My house, my car, my money, my bank account? Absolutely. This truth of God's word that rises in our hearts needs to rise up so that when we pray over ourselves, when we pray over family, when we pray over our nation, when we pray over situations with health care and governments and everything else, you rise up and you know that I'm believing God for an amazing leader. I'm praying God's going to turn things around. Why is that? Because I live here and I'm in the favor of God. I'm in the inheritance. I'm an heir of everything that he's given me. So I pray from a position of strength. Hang on to that. And as you learn and study, and I pray you'll start studying prayer so that you'll recognize prayer's not about how much time you put in as if you earn it. Prayer's just about enforcing what Jesus has already done. Father, I pray today that as a church, each person listening to us will begin to declare the promises of God out loud like Jesus did when he met the devil. And kept saying, it is written out loud. I pray that in our prayer time, we would declare over our families what is written. We would declare over our towns what is written. Over our province, over our nation. We would declare it over sickness, over viruses, over everything that goes on. We'll declare the word of God. And Father, your words promised us that the occurrences that happen in our life now are the very favors of God. Time and time again, as time goes by, one after the other after the other, is the favor of God blessing our lives, our kids, our grandkids, our bodies, our emotions, our careers, our leaders. Every area is covered. Father, help us love prayer. In Jesus' name I pray this today. Amen and amen. Well... Since I learned how to pray, I got to tell you something. Prayer fascinates me. I feel so empowered, so honored to pray. Because I don't look at prayer begging, bugging, pleading. I look at prayer as enforcing God's will in my life. And I can pray for you and cause a meeting to take place between you and God. We talked about that in the first session. That's what a mediator is. Jesus is our mediator, but we are literally co-enforcers with him.